Welcome to Panel Up, your monthly pop culture panel. I'm John Campbell. And I am Mike Rigoni. Back again for a new month and a new year! That's right, it's our first Panel Up episode of 2024. Do we have flying cars yet, John? I keep checking every year. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Ford? How are those flying cars coming? I uh, was promised things that could fold out of briefcases. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> we, Yeah, and we are, because we are what... Five years now past when Blade Runner takes place? We're 20 years past when the Jetsons take place. Jesus. <laughs> um, good Lord, man. Uh, if I can't walk on a treadmill outside of my high-rise apartment, what am I even doing here? What are we even doing here? Uh, well, Gregoni, it's a new year. We've got new stuff to talk about. Uh, we we changed things up a little bit, but I do want to... I just want to get... Just so that... Uh, our fans will not be disappointed. We're waiting for us to talk about this. Uh, we're going to be talking about a Marvel thing because uh, I don't think we remembered that it was coming out at this time. So that's why this changed. <laughs> but I would be remiss if I did not let our fans hear just a little taste of Mike Ergoni's thoughts on Monarch Legacy of Monsters. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not surprised. What's your opinion? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, look. Uh, it, gave me, it gave me at least one giant monster fight. Uh, yeah. I thought the, the dual roles of the the, the Russells was a masterstroke. Um, I thought it had its weak points. I thought it had its strong points. I don't think, it, by, by no means is it a perfect show. Uh, and I don't think the show we're talking about today is a perfect show either. But I, I think uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters is really a... Uh, a yet another piece in the crown of Godzilla material that we're getting uh, within this like twelve month span here. You are you are living in the best timeline as a fan of this stuff. No question about that. I, I mean, look, I'm really hoping we hit a triple on this one later in 2024 with uh, God's Kong X Godzilla, uh, the New Empire. Uh, we'll see. I've got high hopes though. Yeah, uh, I uh, no surprise. Less hot on it than you are, as I have been in general for the monster uh, verse. Though I liked it more than uh, than either than pretty much any of the movies other than than Skull Island, which I'm a big fan of. Sure. Um, but I and I and I agree about the Russells are far and away the high point of it. Uh, yeah. I think both Russells were amazing. Their storyline was great. Uh, really, my biggest issue is I did not come to love almost any of the other characters. The sort of I core th- group of young people. While they're all, I think they're all good actors. I just never was able, and I kept waiting for that to happen the whole season. I was like, I'm not into it. Well, give it time. And then by the end of the season, I was like, "Ah, I still just couldn't embrace. I think the stuff in the past was a lot stronger than the stuff in the present. A hundred percent agreed. Until except for Kurt Russell's presence, because he's just magnetic. Sure. Yeah. And and so when he and he has some good stuff, and like I said. I don't blame any of the actors who I've seen uh, at least the two female leads be really good in other stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, and, and I don't think the, the, the other guy is a bad actor by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't... Th- I think they're... Uh, and you can... I, I've talked extensively to a, another Godzilla super fan, our, our pal Brennan Jones, who had sort of... And I, and I think he kind of hit the nail on the head. They read a little bit more stock. And they kind of don't... They didn't. They never broke a little bit out of like cool hacker girl, and you know. Yeah, yeah, and disaster lesbian. Um, 
I can, I mean, look, that's what yeah. she was playing it as. Well, and um, that's, I would say that's not a new issue I have with this franchise is oftentimes. Yeah. And so that's why, but that's why the Russell stuff stood out in like, that was really effective. And the whole relationship with the woman from the past, all that stuff, uh, I guess, Andrew's home, all that stuff was like, Ooh, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good character work for kaiju storytelling. And my biggest issue with it is that the the present day characters outside of their hunt for their father, mm-hmm. which of course is their main like motivating factor, right? That's, but that's it, fine. especially rounding into Act Three of that show, it really didn't give them a firm uh, connection to Monarch the organization. Yeah. Uh, so the it Monarch- made their association with them later in the show tenuous and like strained at best and like I, I think monarch is such a cool idea and i like i mean i was with it for a while but yeah I, as the episodes went on i was i don't think any of it's bad but like i said i was just going like oh man the longer this is going and the more i'm still not connecting to these sort of core trio of characters that yeah. made it never bad and i never hated watching it by any such imagination and it's beautiful i mean i should we should say the production value is incredible they did oh, not keep yeah. out on this, and that I have immense respect for. And yeah, all the monster stuff was great. Uh, it looked great. Um, the thing that also both helped the franchise as a whole but hurt my enjoyment of this is just how great Godzilla Minus One was. Um, yeah, yeah. Godzilla Minus One is incredible. Godzilla Minus One is such a great movie, and then it's also a great Godzilla movie. But it's like, Correct. it's just a great piece of filmmaking really and that's yeah. that like that's a movie i recommend i don't care if you have no interest in godzilla like that is worth seeing it is such i really think that is a true like uh a mainstream approachable movie that has godzilla in it it's so well, good it's just a fantastic movie about survivor's guilt right yeah. and yeah. godzilla being a metaphor for the destruction war can cause and how someone feels when Which, they alone are the survivor of that destruction. And that's returning to how Godzilla was originally created, which was as a metaphor of Japan reeling from being nuked, right? I mean, that was the right. the whole thing. And so it really does take it back to that original movie, which I do love because that original movie, it, it's incredible to me. Like, as a franchise, Godzilla is so interesting because that original movie is such a great film. Like, it's an actual classic piece of filmmaking that spawned... A, a very campy franchise, but like the, the there's the cinephiles are all just like, well, you gotta put. I mean, Godzilla is just one of the best like 1950s science fiction movies by far. Yeah, uh, that's up there with Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Day of the Earth. Still, like that's it's mm-hmm. right in that same camp. And so it's so interesting how fast because I was like, it's so crazy that like immediately they turned to camp. Second movie is uh, Monster Mash. I know like, it's crazy. It's crazy. Right, right around yeah. the way. And uh, like the fact that they go to Godzilla versus Kong in like movie three. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is one of the wildest things. And you know, once again, mileage may vary. You have a great love for that stuff. I have a minor love for that stuff. Like I, I, I mean, not, maybe not even love, but like I can enjoy an appreciation. Pretty- Particularly the older ones, um, yeah. you know, I can I can enjoy a Mothra fight on sort of a camp level. Um, so, but I think I think Monarch I think Monarch is 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 definitely uh, good. Uh, I, I I wish it was great. 
Uh, but it's good, and I think that that's you know, like I said, I certainly enjoyed it more than we we've we've talked about. I really have not been mostly a fan of the legendary stuff, and I will say all the Godzilla or the Kong X Godzilla stuff. I just I I'm just not very interested as much as I love Dan Stevens, who's in it. But also, I already know that character will not be well defined. And look, I can acknowledge the weaknesses of that franchise while at the same time like screaming my head off when no, Godzilla and King Ghidorah fight each other in Boston. I have no, uh, I have no ill will towards it by any means, and and I, and I hope you enjoy it and the fans enjoy it. It's just, it's a thing. When we did the Godzilla versus Kong review on the show, what well, a couple years ago, whenever that came out, and it was sort of just like, I, I think I was just sort of at a loss for like, I, I don't know what what you want me to say. Like, I, I recognize this is objectively well done. I just don't have it. I, it's just not my thing. Yeah. Whereas I come at it with just like, ah, my toys are fighting. I love it. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> and there are plenty of things where it's like, that's the case for me and not you and others. And just, yeah. just, you, you have RoboCop. I have Godzilla. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, we need more RoboCop. Uh, <laughs> when am I going to get my, do you want to talk about franchises that both give me RoboCop versus Terminator, make that movie. Ooh. happen. Yeah, that, there we go. that would be my Godzilla versus Kong. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's so that's 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 our brief yeah. thought. Mo- and- Monarch is really good. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I think it's great in terms of the, like the monster movie canon stuff. Um, I thoroughly loved it. I, my my sta- and my yeah. stance is I think it's better than I thought it was going to be. So yeah. let, let's do that. Yeah, I, I think I think it was well done. Um, I, I I will say. Not like begging for a second season over here, but you know, and yeah. I am. Yeah, of course, of course. Because I'm like, what are those rascals over at Apex Cybernetics up to? Right, 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 right. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, Kurt Russell. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look, there's nothing saying he's dead in that show. Well, this is true, uh, and there's a lot about how much of a check they're willing to write to him. Right. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, but let's talk about what we're mainly here to talk about, which I do think a lot of a lot of the reason we switched on this also was because that conversation was probably as much back and forth as we were going to have about Monarch. I started to go like, I don't have strong opinions. Um, right. And when this show dropped, it hit like a fucking atom bomb with the two of us. Yeah. yeah. And I were, <laughs> were just texting back and forth about it. And then finally, I did just go, this should just be what the show is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's unfortunate, but it's true. We're going to talk about Marvel Studios' Echo, um, a show that uh, I, I, I it, it's, it's an interesting case of, and I think something that they've definitely been more uh, focused on uh, post-Endgame, on, on introducing audiences to characters that they may not know, that aren't the name brand Marvel characters, and certainly something Disney Plus has opened them up for, and now this is the first in this new line they're calling Marvel Spotlight. Um, which is definitely meant to be, from what I gathered, all the press releases, meant to be approachable for people who aren't MCU completists. Uh, our friend sure. and, and, and a friend of the show, Michael Lisman, was talking about, like, I love the idea of these Marvel spotlights because he's somebody who enjoys individual things but doesn't really care about, like, this to this to lead to this Avengers movie. And he's going, like, oh, sure. these sound great. Yeah, and... Obviously, we've had little bits of that before. They weren't under this umbrella necessarily. Yeah, but right. I would argue things like Moon Knight and Werewolf by Night and like even yeah. uh, WandaVision to a certain extent. 
Um, I mean, a little bit. That's more connected, obviously, because you're coming yeah. out of the Avengers stuff. But yeah, the, it also seems to take on kind of the Max line of they tend to be a little bit more mature. I think retroactively now we would call, especially because of this, call all the Netflix stuff Marvel Spotlight, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, look, they directly uh, <laughs> connect those in the form of a uh, large uh, white man called the Kingpin in this I show. I mean, that, that's the big thing about this was, especially in the uh, uh, later sort of marketing for this. And from what I gather from what Vincent D'Onofrio said, this really has to do with the switch of showrunners over on the Daredevil show is mm. now definitively this is in the canon of those and those are now part of the MCU timeline. Because it was always sort of this nebulous thing where it's like, I don't know, we're going to kind of take or leave it. Is that the exact same Wilson Fisk as the one that now it's like, it is. Yeah. And all that yeah. happened. And especially, it hasn't been fully confirmed, but it's pretty well known that they're going to bring back Foggy and Karen as well in uh, Daredevil. In fact, as of the As they should. As of the recording of this, right now, they have started shooting Daredevil Born Again again. Mm. <laughs> daredevil born again again resurgence but that's the thing yeah it's so interesting i saw i've seen people be like oh god new showrunners whatever and then i love the vincent nafia's like guys you should be happy about this we looked at a thing felt it wasn't working and then changed it like like why, why is that like oh shit you're like no yeah. they, that, i, I want a company that is willing to go you know what we've put money into this but it's not as good as it could be. And we are willing to go back. And Marvel has kind of always been like that. To the point where, and this is maybe a larger issue with the company, or could be, is mm. that they build in time for reshoots and like post-production changes. Yeah. So that if they're not happy with a way, there is like built-in space to well, let them alter and that came from um, I, I have I just read, which I highly recommend, uh, the the MCU uh, book that just came out uh, a couple months ago by Joanna Robinson. It's great, and it really gives you uh, a look into the creative process over at Marvel. And that came out of when they shot the first Iron Man movie and screened it. They realized the third act just wasn't working, and it needed to be. And so they 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 it was very costly because they went back and got, you know what we're, this is our first movie out of the gate. We're going to get this right. And so based on that experience is why they then built that in going like, we just need to be ready to do that. Right. But somehow along the way, and obviously negative voices on the internet going to negative voice on the internet. Yeah. There's I mean, nothing we can do to stop that. And we'll talk about that with this show in particular, I'm sure. But, yeah. I mean, my, my attitude is always just like, those guys have to be mad about something. So you should just expect it. But the expectation that a movie that is tinkered with and reshot after the fact is inherently flawed because of that is right. like a percolating opinion that has never made a ton of sense to me other than like I feel like these multi-million dollar movies should go into production with some of this stuff ironed out like how do you not see that something is working on the script and I know I know that sometimes stuff that works on the page doesn't work on the screen Right. Or, yeah, stuff that everybody's agreed on. And then, I mean, a big thing is Marvel is also really, uh, really committed to test screenings. They really get in front of an audience. And so things that even you as a company are going, this looks good, this feels good. And then you get in front of an audience and go, something's not clicking here. And sometimes 
the thing about the Marvel reshoots is they can take on any number of things. Sometimes they're changing the entire third act. Sometimes they're just going, you know, if we just get a couple more lines from this character or just shoot a couple more close-ups here, that will make this impact more. It's not always mm. a massive thing. I think that's the other thing, too, is people... The other thing that, that, that I've heard a lot of people talk about is this was always done. It's just now it's, been, it's being reported. It's it used to just happen yeah. and nobody knew it. Right. <laughs> like, once upon a time... Uh, Lord Miller would be fired off of Solo and no one would ever hear right. about it. And we would just hear that Ron Howard made a Star Wars like, movie. Uh, Tim Burton's Batman had an entirely different third act going into production. And literally mid-shooting, the whole thing in the end of the church tower was added. But originally, yeah. Batman was on a horse and they were chasing people through a park. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. And so it's like, yeah, but just nobody talked about that. That movie just came out fully formed when it came out day right. and night. And now it would be like Batman production in trouble, you know, like uh, yeah. So and and I also love this thing, and and I just promise we get to echo. Poor horse out of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Keaton and horse had big disagreements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, no, the thing about it too is everyone, uh, and I guess we're guilty of that. Although I, I like to think we we try to be informed about it, but like everybody becomes a fucking expert on film production too when they talk about this stuff which drives me insane right where it's like all of a sudden everybody goes well they're based on uh, my understanding of the film industry it's like you're shut up well look john all i know is two things uh movies starring women don't do well in the box office yeah. and you can never make a movie with the word mars in the title those are just nope. the two things i know you can't this is just fundamentally the case. I'm uh, speaking hyperbolically for yeah. those who don't understand, because there's this gestalt hive mind that forms around certain yeah. ideas because of how like the film industry works. They will cling on to the lessons of things that work, even if those lessons are not indicative of larger trends well, as a whole. The, there's so much money involved, so they're all so highly risk averse that they're yeah. doing anything to try to guarantee success. And so literally, I mean, I've heard stories where they bring in people and they've gone, we've run the math on this algorithm and we can already predict that your movie will make this much money even though the script hasn't even been written. But it's like based on the genre, the actor you have attached, it will probably make this much money. You know, it's like, that's mm -hmm. crazy. Because you're trying to take something that's totally subjective and turn it into actual, like, quantifiable information. And you just right. don't know. You just don't know. Like, because then there's stuff that hits, and you're like, that thing was the biggest movie in the world? What? A movie about survivor's guilt, giant radioactive lizards, and is subtitled yeah. in Japanese, yeah. has consistently done numbers for the last yeah. two months. Right, and that goes again. I mean, and then the then when that happens, then it's like, what do we what do we do with that information? Like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And then yeah. this other movie that we put everything into that we guaranteed, well, that didn't work. What? Yeah, Jason Momoa wet and shirtless didn't do as well. What are we even doing here? Actually, weirdly, uh, as I'm sure you followed some of that, Aquaman has been chugging along and making a yeah amount of money. Yeah. Uh, it's never stopped making money yet. That's the thing about it is it's like it opened, everybody's like, oof. But it's kind of just consistently chugged along. I have mm -hmm. no dog in that fight, but I just think it's kind of like, oh, look at that. I guess maybe people do. <laughs> maybe there are people who do like that. The little Aquaman that could. Yeah. I mean, it is weird to think of a giant $200 million movie as like, a, oh, look at that little movie making his money. <laughs> but it is just like that. that movie was, and once again, I haven't even seen it, so I don't know. But like, 
just the idea that everybody was just ready to shit on that movie. There's a part of me that's kind of like, well, good for you, Aquaman. That, like, because uh, we talked for the underdog. This was very much the case with Echo, though, too, getting us back to our main topic. Like, people had already prescribed, oh boy, this one's not going to go, like, months before it even came out. Well, because we talked about the Marvel spotlight being able to introduce characters who are a little off the beaten path, right? And it's interesting when you talk about that with Marvel specifically, because even, like, within the last five years, if you were to list any of the characters who were on a given Avengers team that in the comic books, yeah. I would say half of them are off the beaten path because they're not a Hulk, a Thor, a Captain's America. Yeah. Well, th- this or is an the, Iron Man. This is the thing, right? Like at a certain point, Marvel has done all of the marquee characters, right? Like kind of the people that are left, unless you're making like another Thor movie, but like if you're introducing new stuff, yeah, you're going to start getting more obscure, aside from, of course, waiting for the debut of the X-Men and the Fantastic Four, right? But 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 when you say obscure, I mean, that's such on a sliding scale, Will Marvel. Uh, yeah, I'm talking because, very broadly speaking. Sure. Before, uh, before the MCU, I would argue that Iron Man was an obscure character, or the Guardians of the Galaxy definitely were obscure characters. Oh, Jesus Christ, yeah. I mean, uh, so many, yeah, it, it is wild. Like, yeah, like you bring up Captain America, Spider-Man, Hulk, Thor, and then Fantastic Four and the X-Men are probably as much as people know. Like, if just before the MCU, broad strokes, if people were to name Marvel characters. And even X-Men, like, it's Wolverine and then other characters. Well, that's the thing. People know the X-Men are a team of superheroes and Wolverine and maybe Cyclops. I think people know Laser Eyes, right? Like... Yeah, I yeah, mean, maybe Beast. Now. Yeah, I mean, like, people, there's, there was, there was at least, here's what I was it, there was at least an image when someone said X-Men. People had yeah. some lineup of characters, and, and probably maybe not even, but like, the blue and yellow uniforms, maybe, you know, like that sort of thing. That X, that much like the Spider or the Superman S or whatever, that X in a circle was the thing where people go, oh, X-Men. Yeah, yeah, no, Same for thing. sure. Same thing with the four. Even if yeah. people probably couldn't name, they're like, that's the Fantastic Four. Now, could everybody name the Human Torch, Invisible Woman, you know, thing, Mr. Fantastic? Probably not. But they might be able they to go say... They go stretchy guy, guy, rock guy, invisible yeah. lady, and flying yeah. guy? That's, that's a thing. Once again, yeah. yeah. So it is crazy. But like, as you start disseminating down the list, Echo is like a side character from Daredevil who's pretty well known, but definitely like the next tier beyond total mainstream knowledge probably right like i think that's where iron man was too when you talk about the levels of obscurity it's like all right there's the ones everyone knows and then there's probably that what would be b tier to once again mass mainstream not to people like us because we know like Daredevil is always one of the most prestige books at marvel but in my head when i heard the character echo my thought for the longest time as a comic books like reader and i'm not a huge daredevil guy i always like followed it like when like people I'd hear runs are particularly good, I'd hop on for yeah. a little bit and then hop off. But meanwhile, you're uh, talking about he literally has a painting of him behind him. Yeah, uh, because but yeah, Echo to me has always been like, oh, we've got Electra at home. <laughs> sure, <laughs> well, I can see that from just the outset. Yeah, from the outside. Yeah, 
it's just like badass lady assassin who is associated with Daredevil and like just based on only the character silhouette uh, right. and is like got the handprint thing as the iconography. Uh, but I associate that with Urukai from Lord of the Rings more than I do any Marvel character. Um, mm. And her power set, at least in the comic books, was always just like, yeah, but we've got Taskmaster for that. I think that's a big reason because someone we both know is maybe upset, at least initially, that they changed the power set from the page. Uh, but I think that that, the, number one, what they do in the show, I love. I think it's very smart. And two, yeah, maybe maybe, maybe there is a reason why Miss Marvel doesn't stretch in the, you know. I mean, I, I kind of get, and I understand there's a lot of comic fans who go, the audience can't handle that. I'm like... Maybe not. I don't know. You know, it's sort of a thing where you go like, yeah, there is a Taskmaster, so making Echo a different thing. Well, and my argument would be like, maybe we haven't seen a comic book accurate version of Taskmaster yet. So do you really want the mirror fighter to originate with Echo and not have like an actual Tasky show up in like Spider-Man or something? Yeah. I mean, yes, we because we have and, and and boy, oh boy, did we hear the statements about that. Jesus. Sure. Look, uh, I think... Black Widow as a movie has its ups and its downs. I overall enjoy it. Uh, yeah. But Taskmaster as the bad guy of that movie uh, left a lot to be desired for me because I like the comic book version of Taskmaster. The tech-based Taskmaster makes sense, right? I mean, in, in yeah. the world of that. We'll see. We'll get more of that Taskmaster because she's going to be part of the Thunderbolts. Yeah, and who knows? Could be cool. But I what? really what like what they've done with the character of Echo in this show in making her a original character, leaning on the strengths of the actress and the culture that she comes from, whether it be the the culture of just like existing as a deaf person or her indigenous background as well. I mean, this is something that definitely, uh, as Echo has been developed in the comics, has some of this stuff has definitely come into it more. Uh She's always been an indigenous character. Uh, she was created by David Mack during uh, the 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 second run, the the second run of the Marvel Knights book, or I should say, mm. the second arc of it after Kevin Smith kicked off with the Guardian Devil series. Then when David Mack took over and he created Echo in that uh, run, so she goes back a little ways, but she's you know late '90s, early 2000s character, and she always mm. had this indigenous background. But I would say that, like a lot of stuff in comics, that has been greatly expanded upon as more writers have taken over that and and the and, and there was actually just a miniseries out surprise surprise right around the time that this show was being made a daredevil and echo miniseries uh and, and synergy the, it definitely leans a lot more into the stuff we're seeing from this show with her connections to her ancestors and stuff like this not the exact same level of importance but definitely like bringing more of that into it which makes sense well, in the same way that they've sort of retconned Miss Marvel into being a mutant as well in the comics yes. to yeah. sort of align with MCU stuff. And that's been happening all over the books forever. I mean, I mean the, the Guardians is one of the yeah. biggest, probably the biggest example, right? Where it's like they pretty <laughs> much got turned into their movie counterparts. And you know what? Nobody really, because the Guardians were a hard thing to pin down prior to that. Like, right? I mean, we, we've talked about this. The Guardians have a weird history in comics anyway. The 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 Peter Quill you read in the Annihilation Saga is yeah. not the Peter Quill you're used to from the no. James Gunn movies. Not at nor, all. 
Nor is he really the Peter Quill when he first showed up in the 70s and he was sort of a Flash Gordon knockoff either. Like the, those characters pretty even even it, it, pretty consistently were it really was James Gunn uh, and Nicole Perlman who solidified a lot of their personalities and interactions with each other in a way that even as comic book fans, you're going, oh, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense. There's a cohesion here now. So well, some- and Howard Stark is the same way. I feel like, yeah, uh, we've seen a lot of characters fit the mold of their MCU counterparts because that's what people are growing to expect. Yeah. In terms of just like, well, I go to the Iron Man movies and expect a certain tone with my Tony Stark. So like you he became that. less Howard Hughes and became RDJ. Right. And I think I, as a comic book fan, I think Marvel has done a pretty good job of doing that without like breaking anything to me. You know what I mean? Like, do you, I mean, do you, I think for the most part, they've handled it pretty well in terms of bringing in what's worked about the movies without making it feel like they're totally bending over to be the movies. Yeah. The only exception to that is like the whole Miss Marvel mutant thing was so ham fisted. I feel like, and well, the fact that like she died in a Spider-Man book, even though yeah. she had no real association with Peter Parker, Spider-Man and yeah. like, it was really like just sudden at the tail end of the Krakoan era of stuff. That's kind of wrapping up now with, yeah. the the x-men stuff and like i don't know it it, it could have been handled better i think uh, that maybe could have been handled better the only thing i'll say about that is like her being an inhuman though was also true, true. thing based on the movies she's always been a casualty of weird multimedia shit right like because that's, that's there, absolutely there was, fair yeah there was that yeah so it's just <laughs> it's it's so sad because we both are such massive fans of that character and she always is just being pushed around based on the needs of the conglomerate that is Marvel Entertainment. Right. Uh, D- Disney doesn't have the right to the mutants, so make her an inhuman. Oh, God. that And and people can go back into our archives if you're one of our patrons. Hey, go and be one of our patrons. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and you can listen to me just during that era be so pissed off when they were trying to push the mutants that was that was so that was such a funny time they talk about this once again i'm gonna keep bringing up that mcu book uh but it was just so funny that they were able they canceled fantastic four and then they tried to downplay x-men and it just didn't go because people did the x-men is way too beloved and of course the fantastic four thing also pissed people off but there wasn't the same like yeah people you just can't make people stop reading x-men it's just not gonna happen and the inhumans You know, have have there's been good in humans runs, but it's like they, they just don't have what the X Men. They can't be the replacement. Unless you go back in time and have Chris Claremont write fifteen years worth of Inhumans yeah. that solidifies We're, in people's yeah. childhoods. I don't know We're what to do. Just too endeared, man. It's just yeah. you know, you know. I always talk about like I'm a Marvel fan, but almost more so maybe I'm an X Men fan. Like X Men is just such its own beloved franchise anyway all of that is to get back to echo which is uh really my sweet spot though at marvel Uh, aside from the x-men i live for the street level marvel all my favorite characters are the dark violent ones so uh you know well and i like a street level marvel that is a little bit more on the whimsical side in terms of just like okay there are street level implications to these grander uh, Marvel bullshit that's going on, like uh, Inhumans and mutants and uh, Celestials and weird uh, 
powers being infused into the earth in our distant past and recurring now. I mean, both of us are big Moon Knight fans because I think he is the perfect hybrid of a magic-based street-level character. He's a character whose total mystical background plays out in being a street-level vigilante. Absolutely. And I think they were trying to strike a similar tone with this show. And so I went into this show fully expecting it to be like, okay, street-level... kingpin gangster violence stuff the character we saw of echo in the hawkeye show again a a show you and i are huge fans of love Uh, hawkeye one of the best things they've made at disney plus no question i i agree uh i watch it every christmas and yeah regular christmas viewing i talk to a lot of marvel fans who say that now it it lined up perfectly because i was able to watch that over christmas and then this show immediately right into the new year yeah uh so it seems like they maybe timed that pretty well um (laughs) and and right off the bat the plan was always to spin her off the second they introduced her in that the plan was to give her her own show but in that show she is very much also like street level bad guy like yeah she's got enhanced abilities in terms of like she seems very strong she's got uh, her own like fighting style and capabilities. What with her yeah. like, she's got uh, a prosthetic leg that she can use to great effect. Which is um, one of the coolest things about the casting. Which I, I we'll, we'll get to all this, but like Alakwa Cox, uh, who I think we we both are are have massive praise for as this character. Right? She's amazing. I've never seen. I I can think of maybe like two other instances of movies and tv shows that have given the level of depth to a deaf character who basically has no dialogue outside of no no spoken dialogue i should say um right but what she's able to convey in terms of emotion and interiority in that character without actually having to say anything is astounding she is i mean it's it's amazing to see uh somebody not able to to do one of the things we think of acting, which is to actually speak out loud with their voice, but to, yes, to convey everything in just as captivating a performance. I am so drawn to her in every scene, right? Her face, just like... And, and the other thing is, uh, I was thinking this, watching this, because this is probably the most I've ever seen sign language implied or, or, or you know, used in, in any film I can think of, maybe other than... Um, uh, oh, what was that movie that won Best Picture a couple years ago about the 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 girl who was in the family of deaf? I can't remember what it was called now. I'm sorry, somebody write in. Um, it was really good though. Um, but it was she was the she was the one member of the family who who wasn't deaf and was about mm-hmm. her. It was a really good movie. Um, uh, but uh, uh, but I was thinking about Coda. Like, Coda, really good. Um, children of deaf adults is what that means. Um, that's why. Uh, the um uh oh the thing i was thinking is sign language is really cinematic it's a visual medium so the idea of people expressing themselves with their hands like was really compelling in this i really was paying attention to that like there's there's inherent acting in it and so you get what you whatever is lost in not being able to really hear echo's voice Beyond, there is, she sort of does this quiet, and and she does in real life too, and I don't know if this is common amongst a lot of deaf people, that they sort of, there's a kind of a whispering of the words along with the, but like, there is such 
acting in that, the way she's gesturing, how she's choosing to do it, uh, is all so calculated in a performance. It's a really good, and this is the first thing she's ever done. She's she had no acting background prior to playing Echo. Well, and what is I think lost on a lot of people when it comes to uh, sign language as a whole and ASL in this particular instance is that it's lost on folks that it is its own language, right? It, yes. it can very easily be interpreted as just like, oh, you're saying the words you would say in English with a sign or a gesture in the same grammatical order and in the same like sequence of words that we process with our ears. And that's just not true. Well, because that's like, that's like any language when you're translating. Yeah. You can't go one-to-one for any between any of the two languages. It right. just doesn't work like that. And so, yeah, there are... It's 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 very fascinating watching this show. Like I said, it's so compelling. And then the cool, marvelly tech of uh, the uh, uh, the the contact lens she gets, and it's doing the digital hands when Fisk is talking. That was I was wondering when they were going to do something like that because it yeah. felt like a shorthand that needed to happen. But um, I also love the idea too, and they they bring it up in the show. But it's it's so intrinsic to Fisk's character that this guy spent all this time raising this girl and never learned sign language. Yeah. That really speaks to the kind of person he is. Because you see everyone else who cares for this character has learned that. I want to circle back to like how this show struck me, though, right at the top, though. Yeah. Because we talk about what draws us into this show. Yeah. And when this show starts with the Choctaw creation mythology yeah. as like the mythical origin story of this lineage of super people. I was just like, okay, I don't know what this show is anymore. And I'm immediately here for it. Yeah. That was definitely <laughs> that. And then it was like, by the second one, by the second episode, when they started with that, I'm like, Oh, I see. So it's going to be each episode is going to have, this part, and then it all coalesces into actually being her power set. But it's like, okay, there's going to be a one-to-one thing. And that is so cool and so much more than just paying lip service to representation, right? Like, yeah. it is intrinsic to the plot and the character. No other uh, superhero is 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 going to have this power set because they're not tied to this culture. Only Echo can be this. And the idea that, yes, she is an echo of all of the ancestors. One is the echoes of those ancestors that empower her. Which is, um, and empower the other women around her as we get in that final fight when uh, her uh, uh, grandmother and uh, does, her, does her cousin also gets, right? Powers. Uh, Bonnie, yeah. Yeah, they all get powered up. Bonnie from Reservation Dogs, which, by the way... Here's another thing that's great about this show. It, it I, I was both heartened and saddened by this at the same moment that mm. I love all the actors in this and I've seen them in so many other things, but that also means I'm like, right, because these are the only indigenous actors in Hollywood. That's why I see them in everything I watch that is about these cultures. And we are really in a golden age for representation of indigenous peoples in movies and television right now. There is so much good content coming out of it, whether it be Reservation Dogs or one of my other absolute favorite shows that's on right now is Dark Winds, which is about a police chief on a Native American reservation. So fucking good. As good as detective dramas get. We had some of that in Longmire as well. 
all the Taylor Sheridan shows, the Yellowstone stuff. There's all kinds of tension uh, in there. That's really, and he works really hard to make sure that that culture is represented properly. Uh, uh, we saw it in a couple of movies recently. We've had like Prey. Obviously, was a great example of Prey. Uh, yeah, and uh, the it? other one. Did you Blood see Quantum? Blood Quantum? Yeah, yeah, that zombie movie. That was really yeah. good. Blood Quantum's fucking great. Uh, and the main guy from Blood Quantum is in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Rutherford Falls, which was stupidly canceled by Peacock. They were totally wrong. <laughs> Basically, uh, most of the cast of that show is in this as well. Uh, mm. And like I said, which is great that they're all in this, but it is also makes me go like, right, because that's if you were if you were to make a show with this size of indigenous cast, it's like everyone in Hollywood who is something. It's it's so the, the my I will say though that my, my my to me the most enjoyable uh, of that kind of thing in terms of tracking back to other things I've loved is uh, uh, Graham Greene. And Shantu Cardinal, uh, who play her grandparents, they played a married couple in one of my favorite movies, Dances with Wolves. And they mm. were great that movie. There was already a chemistry established because they are so wonderful in that movie together. And so their scenes just crackle with this chemistry from, you know, 30 some years ago. They played <laughs> something. And I just, I was so heartened by that because I love, of course, I love that movie. Um, as as no one, as people always hear me talk about Costner, um, but uh, that is that is a great great movie, and they're wonderful in it, and they're wonderful here. Number one, uh, I I like Graham Greene. I just I just love. I just always love his presence in anything. Yeah, he's always such like a. <sighs> I mean, grandfatherly is maybe like too on the nose, right? Yeah. But he's got this paternal warmth to him and that he, has, he brings to so many roles. And he has this, yeah, he has this weight or gravitas or kind of a wisdom without it feeling like, oh yes, the wise, you know. There's there's a there's a mirth there. There's 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 a twinkle in his eye that's very mm -hmm. and really really works here and makes you see why he would be the person Echo would go to first when she returns to her home. Yeah. Um, uh, and, like, the show is, like, endlessly filled with people like that because I want to speak about, uh, how do you say his first name? Uh, Chaske? Chaske Spencer? I think um, that's right. That sounds Who right. plays uh, Henry Black Crow yep. Lopez in this show, uh, who is Echo's, like, uh, cousin or uncle? I don't know. Big family. Yeah, I mean it, it's it it is that. I think thing. I think he's supposed to be her dad's brother. Yeah, it is it is an interesting uh, uh, thing that I, that I, I I feel like one of the things you really get about this show is this tight knit culture that she comes from, and sort of this mm -hmm. idea where you start to go like, well, are they all related or are they all just sort of like like everybody? There is this big familial feeling to the whole culture, right? Well, and something you get in cultures that are so, like, family-oriented is this idea of aunts and uncles who you call your aunts and uncles but have no actual blood relation to you, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, saying aunties or uncles or uh, grandfather or, or grandma, it's like, those are just the older people in your life that right. are constantly around. Whether or not they're actually related to you by blood, it doesn't matter because the family is the... 
group of people around you who are helping to bring up the next generation. And I can only speak to this to, from my own, like, Italian heritage background, where it's just like, I have people I call uncle and aunt who yeah. are not related to me in any way, shape, or form, but are just are such a big part of my childhood and my upbringing, and they were always there around and, like, breaking bread on Sundays and pasta dinners and all I that know. other it, stereotypical bullshit. Yeah, but it, it, it's like Sopranos, right? Like, yeah, Sunday dinner. I mean, uh, yeah. But I mean, it is that feeling. It is something of why I'm always drawn to these stories because I never had that. I'm always kind of jealous of rich people rich in culture in that way because I'm a muddled mix of European white. Just white <laughs> all get out. Um but like, but no, not not no one enough to be like an idea. Sure. And so yeah. I'm always kind of jealous of the people who can feel that towards. Like I don't, I've never, I don't really care about the like 23andMe stuff because I'm just like I don't feel it. I don't feel any attachment to the ancestors. I don't really have long family tradition. Once again, I come from the Campbells. Well, shit, there's a ton of Campbells every. You know, like it doesn't really whatever. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's yeah, you, you don't feel anything, uh, particularly yearning for the hills of Scotland, John? No, because like, even though that's our name, we have a lot of connection to that. I have just as much German blood. I actually have a lot of Icelandic. My mom, uh, sure. most, but, but I'm like, but I don't have any connection there either. So it's like all, and then, you, you know, it's that weird thing where it's like, I'm a little bit that, a little bit this, a little bit. And so I just don't, I don't have that. But if you, but if you grew up with like salted herring every single I, week and great. like, it was, ne it was never that. So I it's like you know it's it's which you know the, the the pros of that are i'm also open to all this stuff because i don't feel uh you know closed off and, and you know, i never so so i've always been but yeah i've always been fascinated by that and there's always kind of things like ah the tight-knit cultures like whenever i see a, a lot of this stuff about uh native american tribes and things like that you go like oh man it'd be cool to have like a tribe like that uh, well and that's where cons to that as well as, as sure uh, yes I, yeah <laughs> God, I mean, also, there's lots of stuff where it's like, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, look, we this is not the time and place to start talking about the psychopaths who are leaning into replacement theory. Um, oh, boy. This, this show has gone over very well with that crowd, as you might imagine. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. But it speaks to this, like... Uh, man, my first thought was just to say cultural emptiness. And that feels really... Yeah, uh, passive aggressive. Um, <laughs> but, it's, but it's this idea of having something culturally that you share with the people around you right. and it's like it's why i get judgmental when somebody hands me a meatball and i go we'll see right 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 <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. that, there, that there is something there is a uh maybe ownership's the wrong word but yeah there is something in you there's something a part of you you're you're, you're part of something larger than yourself and and we have to look hard i look for that more in uh broader things like films and comics and sort of the well, shared language of the pop culture stuff. And that's where a lot of this cultural, uh, like camaraderie in terms of like nerd culture, whatever you want to call that right. comes from, right. Is just like, you have this whole generation that is growing up in this like milieu of cultures being presented to us via the internet. Like we have access to everything. So we, by that same token, because you have access to everything, it waters down any one thing that might uh, be presented to you as like your heritage. Right. Oh. So like, even though I have this like strong Italian background and I have the Sunday dinners and the, the pastas and the Chianti bottles are wedged in my brain somewhere. Right. I, at the same time, I don't put out the checkered 
paper uh, fucking tablecloth every Sunday and make myself right. a pasta dinner. That's the thing I do with my family. I'm the next generation away. Um, right, right. So the idea of this character of Echo who has this heritage like literally speaking to her and reinforcing who she is, is such a powerful motif in this show. Totally. And that's, and that the idea, like I said, that that is central to it. It is literally her power comes from that connection. That yeah. bloodline uh, is, is really, like I said, it's actually, it's one of those things where it's like, it's kind of what we were talking about when things coming to the comics, we like, God, that's, richer than anything they've done in the comics actually in a lot of ways yeah. we've talked about this a lot one of the things the mcu really benefits from is that they get to do the second draft of these characters right they get to look at everything mm -hmm. that comes and they go this works this works this works what if we put this in with this and move this so in some ways there are aspects of this and and i'm going to come back to this because i always say this and people just it's to be a catchphrase on any podcast i'm on which is the platonic ideal of these characters mm -hmm is often what I feel like the MCU versions of them are because they are this, 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 and this put together, done this. Because comics, because they run forever, there's there's contradictions and there's ever-changing things of these characters. And the MCU gets to look at all that's already been done and move what works and what doesn't and then move stuff, you know, put stuff together, add stuff on top of it, that it becomes these sort of ideals of these characters. Because just to cover the basics, and you can speak to this maybe better than I can because of your familiarity with the Daredevil comics. Mm -hmm. In the comics, she does have like the basic same background of being like raised by Kingpin and being brought up into this world of crime totally. and blaming characters who maybe don't deserve it for yeah. her familial woes. Totally. Yeah, definitely. Um, and a central part of the character in the comics is that turn and her like coming around and shooting Kingpin in the face. Like that, yeah. that's all from the comics. The idea of like real, the realization that Kingpin has been uh, using that rage and Oh God, I mean, I don't even want to get into D'Onofrio just yet, but like that scene where he's just like, use that anger do the, you know, it's just like, I mean, it's, it's almost emperor from star Wars kind of stuff, right? A little bit, right. Where he's just sort of like, he's, he's actually this loving father is actually been forming her into this weapon. And, yeah, and even if he, I don't think, I think that Kingpin's such a complicated character that I don't even know that he perceives that he's fully doing that. I think he well, does think he loves Maya. It's what, makes D'Onofrio's Kingpin so engaging, right? And it's what was built into him through the first season of Netflix's Daredevil and really came to a head and in it, the third season. It's what the thing that I can now definitively say this because that's all canon, The to me, the best MCU villain. He is so... I mean, in terms of maybe the most... In, maybe I should say the most interesting uh, because, I mean, we get into, like, Thanos is more powerful... But similar, the reason Thanos is so interesting is for similar reasons. It is the complexity of these guys. Um, because, I mean, I've even heard D'Onofrio go, I'm street-level Thanos, is Wilson Fisk. Sure. No, and that's always should be. Yeah. That is the case <laughs> where it just is like, and this show, uh, I've talked to a lot of people about this. It does feel like he's always been the perfect Wilson Fisk. But particularly in Echo, I feel like he is fully the comic book kingpin in this. Yeah. I mean, we get a little bit of everything in terms of his, uh, 
painter's brush <laughs> of Kingpin yeah. because we've seen so many different turns uh, over the course of three seasons of Daredevil and then this. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the- we didn't get him a ton in season two of Daredevil, but like but when he does show up, it has such impact, right? Like, yeah, and that's the same thing here. He is at the beginning of this thing and then he disappears. And then when he comes back, it's like, Oh fuck. There's such weight to him. I love, cause it's not even just in his performance, that scene where she's being arrested and the cops just clear for him. And then that one that does, and the guy's like, do you know who that is? I'm like, that's the kingpin, the guy who can yeah. just walk everywhere. And everybody's like, yes, sir. You know? Uh-huh. It is, yeah. Yeah. He just commands <laughs> the, he, the, the air goes out of the room when Wilson mm-hmm. Fisk walks in. And, no, and that's absolutely what you want when Kingpin shows up is everyone yeah. groveling everyone at every level of power. And it's the heroes like daredevil and echo who are able to stand up to him. Uh, yeah. it, like it adds that much more weight to their conflict when he brings that much gravitas to an situation. Of course, where this sets up going, I can't wait to see him in the realm of politics and gaining <laughs> more quote unquote legitimate power is going to be so fascinating. Oh, Born Again can't get here soon enough. This just... Because uh, we only get... And, and and believe me, I've already seen the people who are pissed that there's only 98 seconds of Daredevil in this. <laughs> but... Yeah. That's good. And apparently there was... At one point, there was going to be more. And I do think the showrunners made the right call. Like, no, because the more you put him in there, the more he's going to distract. It's not called Daredevil. It's called Echo. And this is... Echoed show. She's the main character. The whole thing is about her journey. Wilson Fisk is there as a supporting character to her journey. It's all about her relationship with him. And I do feel like Daredevil is so popular, so beloved, that you got to be careful how you throw that spice in, right? Well, because you immediately lose the, like track of if we call this after the main character and then suddenly it's a team up show mm-hmm. you've you've lost the sauce whereas like yeah. falcon and winter soldier right up front it's falcon's yeah. winter soldier we know what we're getting here and dude if we uh, want to get like after this and after born again a daredevil and echo show i'm here for that man that would be sure. awesome i would love a team up show with them or i hope i do hope she shows up in born again and i bet she will you know but especially when you're establishing ostensibly a new character because as much as she is the character from the comic this is also a character who is very much springing whole cloth out of the mcu and spinning out of let's be honest the casting of alaqua cox as maya lopez actually brings me back to this thing earlier because you mentioned the prosthetic leg and that was a thing that's not from the comic that's just this woman would be perfect at the part and she has that and then that opens doors. And the way they use that, particularly in the fight scenes, is so cool. The way she can, like, brace herself against a wall because she doesn't have a knee and just has this straight rod of a lower part of her leg. And she can leap off of stuff and hit people with the leg, you know? The the way she leans into that is like having more impact when she kicks. She kicks with that leg. There's just a lot of... The way that Daredevil goes after that leg with his baton like it and just hear the clank yeah like it's so cool and by the way look okay film is a subjective medium all right however the people who are trying to bag on the fight scenes in this they're just wrong like (laughs) talk about without enjoying them but objectively these are great fight scenes 
I don't. Like I said, you have to like make shit up to make them bad fight scenes. I like all the fight scenes. I will say, I feel like the the last one is like a little lackluster in my opinion. When all the different like echoes of her past show up, yeah. I mean, the because the two standouts are the the daredevil single shot. It's like a five minute single shot fight and the roller and the roller. uh, Yeah, the roller ring. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Uh, absolutely rule and are I would put them up against any of the stuff from Daredevil. It is it is of that caliber. They showed a titanic level of willpower and restraint not doing a hallway fight in this show. <laughs> I mean, the, the 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 drug stash house fight is as close as you get to that where it's the visual language of Daredevil. Uh it's closer to that prison the the season 3 prison fight with Daredevil. It's close mm. to that where he's moving through sections of that prison which rules and uh and and if you think i'm not spending way too much of my time just watching compilations of fight scenes from daredevil you don't even know me uh (laughs) the amount of times i've watched that last daredevil kingpin fight from season three in kingpin's apartment god that just rules um the last bullseye daredevil fight in that season as well is just oh it's yeah for me yeah i really hope that version of bullseye comes back God damn it wilson bethel is that actor and he is so good i have no doubt he will be it seems pretty because i'm already well, there's already rumblings about Kristen ritter shooting stuff for i have no doubt that 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 realm is open to the i mean that we know we know that door is open so now it just is can we get that person right do what, yeah ul- we'll use it it's there ultimately what i want is Okay, election of the century, Luke Cage versus Wilson Fisk for the mayoral oh. race of New York. Oh. <laughs> I love in the comics when they're like, we've run all the numbers and all the facts. Luke Cage is obviously the guy that has to run for mayor. <laughs> like, if we're just looking at all the Avengers and stuff like that, because obviously Tony Stark's like, I should do it. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh no I I uh I I hope we get to see that. Of that group the person I want to see back most is Mike Coulter because very similar to a Lockwood Cox as Echo it's just like that guy just became Luke Cage like really yeah. it was just it was like oh there he is that's him from and, the comics. And say what you will about the Netflix shows I think there's a general consensus that as they went on while maybe not like a dip in like consistent show by show quality, but like overall there was a little bit of a fall off. There definitely was. And I think a lot of that had to do with, they existed in this nebulous space, right? They couldn't be the MCU. They weren't given the same resources also. And so I think they were a little aimless. Jessica Jones, I think most of all, Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely Luke, I think, I think Daredevil's the only one that's good. All three seasons are amazing. Um, uh, I think Iron Fist did tick up, and I know everybody goes, "Oh, you well, it's not much to do." But like, I think they there wasn't an attempt to do something better in the second season, and I think it. And I think actually, I think both seasons of Luke Cage are pretty good. Uh, I think season yeah. one is better, but I think season two is still pretty solid. And I'm I'm bummed we never got a season three because season two ended with him basically being like, "I'm going to be the kingpin." Yeah, and I'm exactly. Like, God, damn that we didn't get to see that is a huge bummer. Uh, uh, so, you know. And then, of course, Defenders is what it is. 
I, there's a lot of great stuff in Defenders. I think there's good stuff. I think overall it is like inherently flawed by some decisions they made about yeah. and, and once how again, they go about it. And I think that one, the most of them, really suffers from the nebulous nature of it. Like that needed yeah. to get really big and MCU in scale and it feels like it just couldn't. I feel mm-hmm. like Defenders is more disappointing than it is actively bad. I think people, once again, I think people are always more hyperbolic, but it's like, I don't think there's anything bad in it, but I do think it's like, oh, I wish there was more of that or I wish the ending felt larger in scope. Um, I thought the Defenders together were really cool. Like they're- oh, in- yeah. The, it's, it's a thing where it it, it it kind of fails on the big moments, but lands a lot of the smaller stuff. Yeah, and I mean, that's what convinced me that, like, we could even have a Power Man and Iron Fist in this configuration. Because I, I thought think Mike Coulter and, um, what's his name? Finn Jones. Um, I think yeah. Finn Jones, say what you will, and I think a lot of the negativity towards him does come from the fact that they did not give him the proper structuring for his fight training. Huge fucking problem. I mean, they they talk about, once again, in that MCU book, they're talking about they were literally teaching him fight choreography like punch by punch on the set as they were filming it. And you're like, that's, that's, just, that's just not how that should be. Um, but I was going to say, I think he's, him and Coulter, he gets so much better in every scene with Coulter. Mm-hmm. I think that really brought out, so I really, I I would love to see a Power Man and Iron Fist show on Disney+. Plus. I think that would be, with those two actors, I think would be, wonderful um that being said i would rather see a dodge of the dragon show well okay (laughs) because i think we can all agree that the misty knight and colleen wing of the netflix shows were perfect uh Uh, yes 100 percent correct that casting and i see jessica henwick pop up in a lot of stuff these days so i'm like marvel lock her in because she's getting a lot of work and you don't want her to be too busy to come back and play colleen wing because oh man she oh, keeps man. popping up in stuff that like never quite succeeds enough for her to explode, but there's gonna be something, I feel like. Because <laughs> she's too good. Yeah, and she's turning in stuff like her in Glass Onion, where it's like, that's not her thing, but she's great in it. Or there's this yeah. tiny little movie I just watched that people should check out if you want like Matrix it. Resurrections. That's it. Which actually I am <laughs> you can go back and listen to our episode. I am a massive, massive defender of Matrix Resurrections. <laughs> I loved Matrix Resurrections. Uh it's called The Royal Hotel. It's with her and Julia Garner from uh, Ozark, and it's a tiny little thriller set in Australia. It's them and Hugo Weaving. And uh, mm. I highly recommend people check it out. It's a real, what you would call, what we just call back in the day, a pot boiler, where it's all just oh, burn tension. Um, 90 minutes even with credits. Fucking great. Uh, all right. So back to this though. Uh, yeah, I think, so I, I, I think a lot of this was in some ways, this is, it has its own identity, but it, uh, and I think one of the things I loved actually about this, I was watching going, um, I love that the trailers mostly included stuff from the first episode. So it did seem a little bit more like urban crime. They didn't lean into once she goes back to, is it Oklahoma that she goes back to? Uh, it's one of, the, it one, of the, one of the Dakotas. Or is it one of the um, I don't let know. Let me look it up. Confused on where she returns to. But um, the, the, the idea, it's Oklahoma. Okay. Um, but um, but uh, 
so they they hit a lot of that. So they did, and I think obviously that's where some people go. Oh! By the way, the term bait and switch should just be banned from criticism. Um, <laughs> uh, I do think the idea though, people saying there's not enough daredevils of bait and switch is hilarious because like they they called the show Echo. I don't know what you were being misled on, um, but uh, the um, the. The, the fact that they hit a lot of that stuff was really cool to me because then I was like, oh, I didn't know this is where the show was going. And it's mostly, I, 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 I've been describing this to people as like, is, is this what Marvel Spotlight's going to be? Because I'm cool with this if these are the indie dramas of Marvel. Because hmm. a lot hmm. of this, take out like the magic powers and stuff. And this feels like a Sundance drama about a girl who got messed up with crime Go, has to go back to her hometown and confront the issues of that. Like, that's one of the things I think that why this stands up to, uh, I put this pretty high on a lot of the stuff they've made, particularly Disney+, Plus. but I think so much of Marvel succeeds because they're good character pieces. And this really works as that. It really works. Like, I was so invested in her and the people around her. And uh, and, and, and that's, that, that's set up right from the start. The fact that this opens... After you get the creation myth, which of course gets us into crazy, which is not only true to culture, but gets us into crazy, you know, almost Jack Mystical powers, yeah, stuff. Um, but then we get to we go right from that to this extremely grounded moment with her family and seeing the death of her mother and how she lost her leg uh, and just how devastating all that stuff is, and it so grounds you in this character, and then that we spend the first half of the first episode is basically stuff we've already seen, but from Echo's perspective, right? It's, it's yeah, a we basically of, get a recap of Hawkeye, but from Echo's point of view. Yeah, which is really cool. Because Echo, of course, was a was a meaty supporting character, but was, you know, in the shadows of that show a lot. Was sort of We keep calling her Echo. They literally never call her Echo in the show. It's but that's her thing in the MCU. Call her Maya, right? I mean, that she, and she, and that you get the scene about she is an echo, right? That's the whole idea. Yeah. Her power is an echo. I'm going to call her Echo. It's just going to happen. So that's I, the superhero name. Yeah. It's like yeah. calling Wanda the Scarlet Witch. It's just like, yeah. okay, they call her the Scarlet Witch once in every, out of everything she's shown up in, but come on. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. It's just, I mean, that's, that's how I know her from the comics and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll say Daredevil instead of Matt Murdock too. It's just going to happen. Um, sure. But uh, and I'll say King no. Johnny's the devils of hell. He's the devil of Hell's Kitchen. Uh, they call him Daredevil in the show. Uh, uh, in this show and in uh, She Hulk, I think before that they'd maybe use the name. The he- they, they called him in the papers was the thing. Yeah, the so he would call him Daredevil. But yeah, most people called him the Devil of the Devil of Hell's Kitchen. Um. Uh. By the way, speaking of this from She Hulk, I love that he's back in red. Of course, here. Um, yeah, as he should be. The yellow was so cool to see that they did it. But I, I'm like, but I got my fill on that. You know, it's like that's fun. That he got <laughs> but get him back in red because that's what he belongs in. Um, and he's just badass. Uh. But uh. Yeah. So uh. But I love all this stuff I was saying about. Her uh, being so tied to this community, but also being removed from it, and it it is a cla- like I said, that's such a classic like indie movie thing of I'm going to return home and confront the the trauma of that, and or and then- not even confront the trauma of it, but like try to find the one place I remember feeling safe before everything went to shit. Right. And obviously like that place has changed because I've changed and how those two different like evolutions reflect on each other and how they can heal each other community and is now 
having been through all this is coming back but of course is bringing be, through her return we're seeing uh the 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 reflection of that i almost said the echo of it but the 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 reverberations of the stuff although we see in the show that fiskardi has his fingers in this community yeah man chaska spencer as henry blackrow lopez is probably my favorite part of the show as maya's uncle he's great uh, I, I, also- think, I think he's such a dynamic actor because he's one of the few actors who can like keep the full sign language and verbal speaking going that's a fucking magic trick of acting it really is it's it's incredible and i actually think the the scene between her grandmother and her when they're in the kitchen is another moment like that where it's really effective between the two uh i will i would recommend a show he was just on on amazon called the english that's a western that he did with emily blunt and they're the two main characters in it that he's also oh cool and I'm, I see on his IMDb something that I'm bummed never came to be, which was the television adaptation of Jason Aaron's Scalped. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they were going to do that as a show, and he was one of the main actors in that, uh, along with Lily Gladstone, who's now nominated for an Oscar for her lead role in Killers of the Flower Moon. I, hmm. How, what channel was Scalped supposed to be on? I think it was AMC. Okay, it's like I've read that book. I don't know how you do that on a TV show. <laughs> yeah, I think it was going to be. I I want to say it was AMC, which I, just, which makes sense because they would. I mean, I think they would have seen it in the realm of a Breaking Bad kind of sure own. Um, I love Scalped. Uh, of course, I'm a huge fan of it. It's a super dark and violent crime thing. Um, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But yeah, so so yeah, the, she returns home, and yeah, as you're talking about, uh, yeah, Henry uh, Henry Blackcrow is a guy who's a criminal, but in the sense of like, well, this is how it is, right? Like, it's just sort of like I'm just trying to survive, which means working for Fisk, but I have no actual allegiance to him, right? Yeah. But it's just, and and basically, to her, so much of him in the early thing is like, please don't rock the boat. Please don't fuck up this town. Like everything is wrong. I know you're angry, but like, man, some of us are just trying to live, and the kingpin just has his boot on our throat, and we're just trying to. His, live his trains and his stuff come through here, yeah. and that's it. But yeah. it also it lets it speaks to this idea of the kingpin's influence and power, right? It's like, okay, we always imagine kingpin in New York, but even out here in Oklahoma, like Fisk shipping right. is printed yeah. on the side of a train station His empire sure is based in new york but its tendrils are everywhere man yeah. it would be true to i mean most massive organized crime uh you know and so yeah i do love that and then oh god the fact that we get basically uh a train job in this was so cool that the yeah is her having to jump on the train and uh it's she's not stealing though she's just blowing it up and god when that thing goes up you're like, Whoa. what are your thoughts on biscuits? <laughs> I think biscuits is properly employed in this. I okay. think Cody I, Lightning playing the role of cousin biscuits. <laughs> yeah, I think number one, we've all got a cousin biscuits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, also, gotta love that Cody Lightning is wearing a Lost Boys shirt in his IMDb profile photo. It makes me love me. Yeah, but I think he is, I think he is used just enough. I think he could have been more annoying. Mm-hmm. Are you not a biscuits I mean, fan? 
look, the point of him is that he's a little annoying, right? He's that member of the family that everyone rolls their eyes and goes, oh, yeah, Biscuits is here. And that's what Oof. I mean. I think he is in the show the perfect amount. Yeah. And, like, I like that he has a dog. That's fun. Um, I like that it's like he's he's all right, though. You know, he's not a bad guy. And it's just sort of like, don't you get Biscuits in trouble, Maya? <laughs> and, and Biscuits whole, doesn't they, deserve that trouble. The whole idea that they know that they're like, oh, we fucking know Biscuits will go with her. <laughs> very fun and that he's selling his playstation to make money you know it's like he's to fix his grandma's car yeah yeah he's all right he's he's the troubled cousin who's like he's harmless but he's all right he's just sort of uh you know a, a knucklehead right like it's just sort of yeah like, knucklehead's the perfect word for that's it. <laughs> it exactly where it's like he's not he's probably been mixed up in shady stuff but he's not doing the bulk of the bad part of it and it's just like right yeah. He played Lookout once when they stole some beers out the back of the 7-Eleven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's 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 all right though. He's an okay guy. Uh so mm-hmm. I do I do enjoy that about Biscuits and that he sort of becomes her de facto sidekick for some of this stuff. <laughs> uh because it's like, well, Biscuits can get the truck, you know. Uh <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh I, I liked uh all I think there isn't a weak link in this cast. No. I, I don't everybody... think there's it like a, like a lot of good uh, TV shows that we look for in this stuff. Uh, everybody feels fleshed out, even if they're not in it very much. Like Biscuits, for example. That Biscuits isn't in the show a ton, but he really has a character. And I think that's the case, particularly for Bonnie, because Bonnie is felt in a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of talk about her even when she's not in it. So there's always mm-hmm. sort of this, Bonnie has such importance even in scenes she's not in. And the whole idea about, like, were you going to let Bonnie know you're back in town? Oh, I don't know about it. Because, like, Bonnie is... Bonnie's the opposite of Biscuits. And it's like, well, Bonnie's the good one. Hey, Bonnie... Leave Bonnie. Bonnie's the straight arrow here, all right? Bonnie is, you know, she's she's the best of us. Well, and she's the, like, bright reflection of Echo, right? She is the what-if-the-good-path-was-taken. Um, and that's kind of, I think, part of why Echo is want to contact her because it's like well now i'm gonna feel bad whenever when i'm with bonnie it's gonna force me to look at the bad choices i've made and so exactly she's my best friend and i love her and she's not gonna put that on me i'm gonna put that on myself just by being around her uh and we do see that once she's in this she does have maya's back uh, yeah, no. no, it's very heartwarming. Like you say, indie drama is like so on the nose for this because yes, there's the the grim crime element, but there's also this like recovery from trauma element that is seen so uh, I think very specifically in any scene involving uh, Maya's grandmother, right? Yeah, and that there's this level of trauma that she is carrying uh, about how her daughter died and how she feels like Maya's dad was responsible for all that and how Maya bears the weight of those sins, even if she doesn't deserve it. Um, That is Cardinal plays uh, her grandmother in this is wonderful. And has been wonderful for a long time on the criminally short lived stump town. um, She was on, and she was also in killers of flower moon this year. Um, Mm -hmm. She's amazing. And I said, it goes back to dance with wolves and every scene with her, she just, and this is very much how she feels in Killers of Flower Moon as well. She is just so, her heart is on her sleeve, right? Like, she can't, in every scene, her feelings are so omnipresent. And another character who Maya is maybe 
want to immediately make contact with because she knows like, like so much of this show is the trauma uh of Maya uh you know she's dealing with this trauma from the 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 experiences in New York and the death of her father and the the betrayal of her you know foster father uh and and this whole idea about like but her going her being unwilling to really even though she's gone back to her hometown being like oh, i don't want to talk to bonnie i don't want to talk to my grandma because it's like i know those are going to be hard conversations so as strong a character she is it's interesting to see where it's like well that's going to make me too vulnerable and then of course when she only by doing those things can she actually come out the other end of this Right. Well, look, it turns out healing is all about communication and, well, and that, that, confronting problematic pieces of your past, oh, right? Ultimately, the, the point of the show, right? Ultimately, the theme of this, uh, to kind of get to the end point of the, of the show, is everybody is carrying this trauma. But everybody is also carrying the, 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 the weight and, and, and power of their lineage, and the way that that ultimately saves Maya from becoming a villain. But I love the scene where she finally gets the sort of the power of empathy, right? Or whatever, the power to relieve one of one's trauma. She gets this healing ability. This, but when, and, and she, she does that to Wilson Fisk. And, and I, I, just watching, I'm going like, no, he, he, can't, he, can, he, can, he can feel that. You can open that up from him, but he can't be saved. Yeah. And it's so the, good. It's the hammer, right? Like yeah. that's the metaphor is yeah. Wilson Fisk isn't the wall that he stared at as a kid. He is the hammer that killed his father. Yeah. He isn't the the white marred with cracks that right. like he sees and stares at in Daredevil. He is the bloody hammer that cracked the skull of the man who hit him. That scene I love in the in the in the first scene between them and the show, he talks about I also lost my father. And and then later in 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 one of the later episodes, he's like, I didn't tell you the full story. And he has he the fact that he has the hammer too. And he opens it Which, up. Yes, I know nerds, it's not the same hammer as it was within the Netflix shows. Hey, Get hey, over hey. it. Yeah, it doesn't really matter, guys. You're, you're, it's once again, it's like forest of the trees, man. Um, you know, uh, but and, and that and that he's like, all right, here's your chance to destroy your pain the way I did, kill me, which is God it speaks to how fucked up his like love for her is, right? That it's just like if you really feel I'm the, I think he knows, of course, that she won't do it, obviously, but. Well, and that's the thing, right? It's like, okay, say Maya does grab the hammer and swing it at his skull. Yeah. You think his hand's not shooting up and grabbing her and tossing, tossing her out a window? Him, the gesture of love is to offer her that. Yeah, that's, that's the fucked up part. fucked up he is. Oh, God, this guy. He's just, there's just no, there's no, you can never save Wilson Fisk. He is pure evil, right? And he, of course he was made that way, but it doesn't matter. He has to be stopped. Uh, yeah. preferably by Daredevil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd take Spider-Man too. Hey man, if we get Daredevil, Spider-Man, and Echo, and throw the Punisher in there too, and they're fighting Kingpin <laughs> at some point, you know what I, I want is nobody wants the Kingpin to fight Spider-Man more than Vincent D'Onofrio. He's constantly tweeting about it. <laughs> you know, he's just like, let Marvel know you want to see me fight Spider-Man. Um, 
I want it so bad, Vincent. You you and I are on the same yeah. page. And it, you you know you know who we all know. I think Kevin Feige does too. We all know who's stopping it. Sony. So yeah, the ultimate villain of the MCU. <laughs> yeah, look, we'll see Madam Web in a, a couple of months and we'll <laughs> revel in that villainy. <laughs> We're not covering that on the show, right? No, uh, but there will be there will be a and I, I'm promising this now because I've already got him to agree to it. Uh Brendan Jones and I will do a panel up go uh punch up ghost of the movies about it. Uh we are gonna go see you it. sick bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we were at a movie the other day and that came up and I'm like, oh God, we're going to see that, right? He's like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> we got to record a show, but he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can the episode just be like Brendan groaning for 45 minutes? Because I feel like that's going to be you yeah. in the theater. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I, 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 you know, as always, I love the guy, but he nitpicks. But I feel like neither one of us are going to have a good time on that one. Even me, as open hearted as I go into this stuff, I don't think I can back Madam Web. I just, it's such a bad idea. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how Sony's feeling at the end of this year after Madam Web and Craven the Hunter come out. Um, and Venom 3, right? And Venom 3, but that one will do well, I, I predict. Um, that, that but it's just like, it's likes. it's weird that Sony has three Marvel movies coming out and oh. Marvel Studios has one. Four? You forget about oh. the Spider-Verse. Across the Spider-Verse, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those do well for them, but those almost feel like outliers at this point. Like, Venom is a thing unto itself. I guess as is the Spider-Verse movies. Those almost feel like their own franchise that happen to be... that. What they can't make is the shared universe work. It feels like lumping Lego Batman in with other Batman movies, right? right. Even though, it, like, objectively it is a fun and good Batman movie. But I'd never think about it in that equation. No, I would never say my favorite Batman movie is Lego Batman. As great a Batman movie as it is. It's like, that's really not part of the conversation. To a certain extent, same with Mass of the Phantasm, because, like, that's always... In fact, uh, our old pal Dan Scotty once got... Because he said, what do you think is the best Batman? I'm like, Mass of the Phantasm. He's like, no, boo, cheating. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I get that. Uh, but I do think that that, at the end of the day, that's what I like about this show, is it is about we all carry some form of trauma. And what yeah. do you do with that? What do you let that become? What do you mm-hmm. let? And we see what I like, and especially I like that they include that scene between her and Hawkeye early on because he did succumb to that. He yeah. when he became Ronan. That's how he became Ronan. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so I love that the use of Hawkeye, the use of Daredevil in this, in these little moments, aren't just like, oh, an MCU character. They do reflect still Echo's journey. And same with Fisk. It's something we've seen time and time again in Marvel Comics, right? And, like, because you mention a character like Hawkeye, who was introduced as a bad guy, and eventually was, like, turned to the side of good. And, like, Echo, introduced as a bad guy, turned to the side of good. Like, how many of our favorite characters are these, like, misled, sometimes, villains who have, like, seen the light. Black Widow. I mean, look at Black Widow. Yeah. The ultimate examples of that, she was literally turned into a weapon. Uh, yeah. You know, it's 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 such a key component of the superhero genre, right? Like, if you're going to call superheroes a genre, one of the tropes of it is this fluctuation of good and evil and how they how power 
leads to one. And it's why I'm, I know some people get really upset when villains become heroes, but it never feels out of place for me. The idea that Harley Quinn has gone on this journey. Well, it's like, well, if you, if you were to read, and it's, of course, it's very tough to do this with any comics character, but if you were to read her story as the life story of somebody, she's one of the most fascinating characters in comics because of that. Same with Venom, yeah. right? Like, I mean, same with a lot of the characters. And one can get upset about that, but I like that the characters aren't static and that redemption is often a big part. Look at how, I wouldn't say he's on the side of good by any stretch of the imagination, but look at how fucking complicated Magneto has become over the decades. I certainly oh, don't yeah. always push back on when people call him a villain, though. Well, because, like, that, like a Harley Quinn, as much as, like, the comparison to Magneto and Harley Quinn feels like a wild side-by-side, -side, yeah. but it is weirdly comparable in terms of their larger character arcs. Yes. Yeah. The, the, yes, exactly. And I think it's something that was always present from moment one with the Punisher. And that is why I'm always fascinated by him. Uh, uh, and I think uh, he has done a disservice when he is reduced to a uh, grumpy guy with a gun who's really good at killing people, right? Like that is sure. so limiting. And that is why I love when, I don't know if you've seen these comments from Bernthal where he's just like, if we're going to bring him back, we're going to bring him back right or I don't want to do it. Like I, had, he I had, respect the hell out of that. He is such, such allegiance to that character, and that is something that that MCU book also brings up. And this is the last time as we wrap up here. I swear this is the last time. <laughs> but like that is something that all those actors are sort of given. Like Kevin Feige and the Marvel people at the top, and all the filmmakers have to keep this universe going. But each of those actors really has to vouch for their character. They have to make sure is this being served, and a lot of them really take that on. It's like. No, no, uh, the Punisher wouldn't do that or whatever. Mm. Like at a certain point, especially when you're going movie to movie and the directors and the writers are changing, you now, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch is the keeper of Doctor Strange. And now Alakwa Cox is the keeper of Echo. And they spend more time with these individual characters going movie to movie to movie to show to show to show than the individual writers that swap out and uh, except other than Feige, but he's got to be focused on the big picture. Uh, yeah. and I'm sure Paul Bettany, who's, you know, they're not going to do the vision quest show. I'm sure Paul Bettany is going to have a big hand in, you know, what is vision doing? Uh, is this a vision thing? Yeah, no. And I think what echo is doing in terms of, bringing us a character who has been shaped by their actor is also a interesting and I don't know how important it'll be in the long term, but she is definitely, I think the, the actor in the MCU who has made the biggest impact on the character she is playing. A hundred percent. I mean, it, it, in some ways you do kind of have to go back to Downey on Iron Man, right? Like it is sort of a thing. Yeah. It's just like, they are these definitive things and the character starts to bend around them. Uh, and we've seen this with a couple characters, but particularly, I think th those two feel the same. Where it's just like there is no, uh, they're they're just fundamentally different as a result of that. Like whatever whatever the game plan was, whatever they were in the comics, is is changed because of, of these actors' portrayals of them. Uh, and I yeah, think that's and great. that's and I, exciting. Yeah, that's the gift that the MCU can do. It's it's something uh, they they can do that you know the comics just aren't the same thing. Um, so that, that's our discussion of Echo. Uh, please, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, please comment below your thoughts on Echo. 
and uh, what you're thinking. Uh, and of course, make sure you're you're even if you didn't like it, we were going to respect your opinion. I understand these shows aren't for everyone. Yeah, John and I just came to this show like expecting one thing, getting another. Yeah, and I think that can be a little. Uh, I don't know. It is a little rocking the boat in terms of like, well, I just wanted a superhero punch him up, but opening yourselves up to what the superhero genre can be and like, yeah, I think the fact it's, that it's not even really a genre. <laughs> it's something that I really respect Marvel for is that they are they are proving that all kinds of stories can exist within this universe and that they are connected yeah. by the universe they're in, not the type of movies they are. And it's always the pushback we have. Whenever, because I saw a couple, I was surprised at a couple of the the mainstream, like big name outlets that have reviews. I saw several just be like, "Eh, it's another Marvel show," and you're just like, "Is it though?" You went like at that point where I'm going like, "You're going in with that attitude," because you can say I didn't like it, but to just go more of this shit speaks to just anyone with powers. Then is going to be it's very dismissive. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I just think that that's like that that that's just not fair. Um, I said you don't have to enjoy it, but just to just to write it off like that. Uh, right. so of course, make sure if you are watching us on YouTube that you like, comment, and subscribe, and ring that bell for notifications. And if you're using us on any of the podcasting software, make sure you rate us on there. Whatever five stars is the the highest thing, and head over to our patrons page, patron.podbean.com/slash punch up for cool exclusive bonus content, as well as helping out the shows. Uh, I don't know what. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I don't know what February is going to bring us, so I can't announce what the next panel up topic will be because we're in sort of a weird time in pop culture. But we'll we'll talk. Uh, about you don't know what February is going to bring us, John. Was that what comes out? It's the IMAX re-release of Dune. <laughs> oh, how could I forget? Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see what we end up talking about uh, come February. Uh, but of course, yeah, we'll be back next week with more 1970s wackiness from the Star Wars universe. And we'll be back next month uh, to talk about something that we'll figure out. <laughs> uh, but that's going to do it for this month's episode of Panel Up. I'm John Campbell. And I will always be Mike Gargoni. Till next month, we're going to panel down. <laughs>